Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 427 of the Box Hard Podcast, aka the Christmas Special 2023 edition. Wow, I cannot believe how quick this year has gone, but we want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas before we get into it. And also a very Merry Christmas to my counterpart, the co-host himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing this week, sir? And a Merry Christmas in advance. Oh, thanks, man. Have a Merry Christmas to you, and I'm doing great. You know, I'm always doing good when I'm talking to my man, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Feels good to hear that back. Um, this this Christmas special is going to be a little bit different from other years. I mean, there's 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 other other Christmas specials that we've done over the years, and there's not really any boxing around the festive period. So it's usually just you know we're we're getting weird kind of unusual guests on the show, guests that you wouldn't expect to be on. Um, but yeah, this this time obviously there's fights last week, there's fights this week, so it's it's pretty much any other week in, in, in the whole calendar year. In fact, some of the fights are probably better than we're used to getting um, at any point in the year, let alone this, this kind of time of the year. So it's going to feel like a normal show, but um, we're going to try our best to fly through part one, and we do have a very unusual guest, as always. That is the promise every Christmas. And this week's guest is former WBO welterweight world champion Mr. Jeff Horn. We'll get to him after part one. But let's start with the review part, just as every week. And we're going to start here uh, last Thursday at The Hangar in Costa Mesa, California, uh, USA obviously it was live on Fight TV very hard to find a stream for this one but I actually stayed up so no one at all this week can call me a casual boxing fan I was up till 7am without sleeping just to watch the main event go the distance let's get straight to that main event by the way Kubrat Pulev now 30 and 3 a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Andre Warzik um a real shock because I thought this would only go a couple of rounds. I know that Pulev's not really like a you know a massive knockout guy. He's more of a boxer than a puncher and the rest of it. But as I was saying, this guy Andre Warzik of Poland, he'd been out the ring at one point for seven years. He came back, um, I think, in the latter part of last year, so 2022. Came back and got knocked out in two rounds by a guy who was three and four with two draws. And then his other fight after that. He knocked a guy out in one round. So he'd only done three rounds of boxing in seven years. And he's getting in with Pulev, who, you know, I think is about 42 years of age now. He's actually, I believe, the older man by some distance. But, you know, he's been out the game for such a long time. Pulev, for me, in some mad way, uh, would have been, I don't want to say too fresh, but too active 
you know, for Warzik. But unbelievably, he completely shut him out and it went the distance somehow. Also on that card, Igis Kavalowskis with a win. The Mean Machine now 24-2 and with a draw. A knockout for him in round three against Jose Marufo, who's now 14-13 and with two draws. No messing around there from the Mean Machine. And then last but not least on that card, the brother of Kubrat, Tavel Pulev, now 18-1, and one, a unanimous decision against Leonardo Miner, who's now 7-4 and four with two draws. Still never been stopped in his four losses. I thought that perhaps Pulev would be able to stop him, but no, both Pulevs go to distance. Um, moving now to Friday, last Friday. Got to cast my memory back a little bit here because it seems so long ago. You know, it's only, what, six days from today, Friday, and um, it just seems like such a long time ago. So much has happened, I guess, in that time with Christmas building up and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, this one went down at the Estadio Luna Park in Buenos Aires, Argentina. The return to the ring for Gustavo Lemos. He hadn't boxed since stopping and retiring Lee Selby. Lee Selby had gone away, become a trainer. I think maybe bought his own gym. Lemos hadn't done anything, but he's back here with a bang. A first round TKO against Javier Clavero, who's now 30 and 11 with two draws. So. Gustavo Daniel Lemos still undefeated, 29-0. and 0. Moving now to the star in Sydney, uh, in New South Wales, Australia. Over here, Sam Goodman with a win. He's now 17-0, and 0, a unanimous decision against that undefeated Chinaman, Zong Lu, who's now 19-1. and 1. Over 12 rounds there at Super Bantam. A good win there for Goodman. Also on that card as well, Liam Wilson with the unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Jackson. John England, who's now 15-3. and three. Liam Wilson now 13-2. and two. I'm sure he'll be looking to get straight back to world level. Um, moving now again, this one was last Friday, the, the 15th, at the Carib Royale Orlando in Florida, USA. I'm going to come to you in a sec, Eddie, but keep it real brief if you can. Um, on the undercard, Yoenis Tellez, the Cuban, now 7-0 and with 6 KOs. He got in there with a fellow Cuban, Livan Navarro, who is now 15-2. and um, I wasn't that impressed with Tellez, to be honest with you. Early on, he kind of came in as he does, tries to, you know, finish his opponent early, as he normally does. Um, but he actually got hurt a couple times in there, Tellez, by Navarro. And I wasn't that impressed at all. I think he tried to rush his work at times. He tried to load up when he didn't need to and just got caught so many times in between combinations. Navarro, at times, was kind of, was kind of old man in him, if you like. But yeah, Tellez in the end did get the knockout finally in the 10th and final round. And it was a good knockout, by the way. So he's now 7-0 again with 6 KOs. Uh, also on the card, friend of the show, Shadeja Green, lost her O. She's now 13-1. She lost to another friend of the show, Franchon Cruz de Zern. Happy for her. She's now 9-2. She was a massive, massive underdog. She's upset the odds there. And she's become the new WBA interim and WBC world super middleweight champion. 10 two-minute round unanimous decision for de Zern. Um... I said on last week's show, I think the fight's going to go to distance. That's what I said. I said, I don't think Shadeja's going to go in there and blast out Franchon Cruz. And the reason I didn't say Shadeja Green to win on points is because I thought that there's a chance this could happen uh, for, for Franchon Cruz to win the fight. So I just said the fight to go to distance. 
and that is what happened here. But Dazern with the win. Um, yeah, Shadeja Green was so heavily favoured. And also, her promoter, Jake Paul, will get to his fight in a minute. But obviously, his plan was for Shadeja Green. You know, he signed Shadeja to his to his promotional company, MVP, with massive plans. And she's lost her O there, um, which was very unexpected. So hopefully, you know, he, he, he still does something nice with her. Um, he seems to kind of be, you know getting into this promotional game at least with the fighters uh, interests at heart it would appear it would appear uh, but yeah moving to that main event we just spoke about him there Jake Paul now 8 and 0 oh, sorry 8 and 1 the one lost to Tommy Fury a KO for him in the first round against Andre August who's now um 10 and 2 with a draw we didn't know much about Andre August going in Eddie um I don't think we know too much about him even now, but Jake Paul with the first round knockout, and it was an unbelievable uppercut. I've got to take my hat off to Jake Paul. I'm sure you saw the clip. Um, Jake Paul to get the stoppage in the first, I think, four rounds, I'm I'm pretty sure was like four to one. I can't remember now. I bet on that, by the way. But the first round would have, I mean, the price of that would have been crazy. But four to one for the first four rounds was a nice easy win when he got it in the first round what a shot did you see it i'm guessing you did absolutely seen it <laughs> it was crazy it wasn't you know and you know what it looked legit like something he worked on or something he's done you know what i mean it's like it's like you look at a pro it actually that was a pro move you know what i mean i gotta give it to him and it just proves that you know and then he was in there with um a guy who you know would except tommy fury uh, uh, who's been more pro, I mean, more of a boxer than anybody else he's faced. You understand what I'm saying? So for him to do that in a situation like that, with it being in the first first three minutes of a fight, is somewhat impressive. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, it would have been even more impressive. If it would have been a few rounds in, and he would have been dominating the fight skill-wise and would have been able to show off some of the things he can do. But, hey, you don't get paid for overtime. So go in there and get it done as quick as possible. And that's what he did. Got to give him Jake Paul credit, man. He's stepping his game up in a lot of ways. He's definitely stepping his game up uh, in a promotional thing too, you know, especially with women, women's boxing and what I've been seeing lately. So got to get a kid credit, man. He's, he's doing his thing right now. Absolutely. Can't disagree with that. Moving now to the Beacon of Light in Sunderland, Tyne and Ware, United Kingdom. Over here, this one was live on zone. Josh Kelly, friend of the show, moved to 15 wins. He's got a loss and a draw. A KO for him in round three against Placido Ramirez, now 24-4. and four. Ramirez down and out from another another um, uppercut from, from, you know, from a right hand. Um, yeah. Again, it was another opponent that we don't know, but Josh Kelly looked good. You know, no messing around. The guy was a pretty big puncher. I think he had about 17 KOs. Um, again, he hadn't beaten anyone that I recognized on his record at all. I don't know where they plucked him from. I don't really see the point of the fight. I made this clear on last week's show, but Josh Kelly did what he had to do there. And um, yeah, no messing around. I really liked what he was doing in the ring. Obviously, a little bit of his old self with the making the guy miss and the nice footwork and, you know, the odd angles that he finds and stuff. But when it came down to getting him out, he got him out. Great shot. And now moving to the Desert Diamond Arena in Glendale, Arizona, USA. The big one, of course. It went down on the zone. Let's start with the undercard. Um... 
fun fight actually between Janaid Bostan, who's now eight and zero with six KOs. He was in there with Gordy Russ the second, who was six and zero with six KOs. Uh, both guys big knockout artists. Um, it ended up going eight rounds, a unanimous decision for Bostan. So Gordy Russ has lost his O. He's now six and one, but a really fun fight while it lasted. Um, Bostan was the much, 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 much better boxer, but boy, oh boy, did he fight, you know, quite averagely at times, and, you know, started trading with Gordy Russ when I don't think he needed to, Gordy Russ certainly hurt Bostan a few times, and Gordy Russ, I don't know what the guy's made out of, he's got a granite chin, just kept coming forward, it didn't matter what he got hit with, there was a little bit of a dent starting to get into him about round eight, like the last sort of round, he started to wear the shots a bit, but Prior to that, nothing could deter him from coming forward. He was taking lots and lots of shots. But like I say, at times, Bostan looks a, looked a bit tired and it was becoming a bit of a dogfight. And when that was happening, Gordy Russ was having a lot of success. Um, so it was a fun fight, but Bostan the clear winner. And I tell you what, another mad fight. I don't know if you saw this, Eddie. If you didn't, then don't come in. If you did, then certainly come in to let me know what you thought. But Peter McGraw of the UK, now 8-1. and He loses his O against Jericho O'Quinn, who's now 17-1 and with a draw. Peter McGraw, and I don't use this word too often, completely schooled Jericho O'Quinn. Completely schooled him, hit him every time he wanted to hit him, made him miss. He was boxing a perfect punch, perfect fight, had him down in round two, had him down in round four. The win was in the bag, like already O'Quinn needed a knockout. And he finds it from absolutely nowhere. It was in between McGraw punching, he walks onto a shot. And he was out, out, I mean, yeah, almost, I, I guess out cold. I mean, he, his eyes were open, but he, was, he wasn't he was getting up in 20 seconds, let alone 10. Um, Jericho O'Quinn as well, not noted as a puncher at all. It, it was just a perfectly timed punch that Peter McGraw walked into being a bit careless because he was completely dominating O'Quinn. And I think McGraw was starting to put his foot on the gas because he'd already had the guy down in round two, had the guy down in round four. Like, the stoppage was imminent, it looked. So he had to put his foot on the gas pedal. If he didn't, we'd all be criticising why didn't he do it. And then he did do it and gets caught with a shot that Jericho O'Quinn, I don't think, could land again in a hundred more lifetimes. Unbelievable the way that that fight turned around. And I'm hearing people say that it's the maddest turnaround of a fight they've ever seen in their lives. That was how crazy it was. Completely, completely tore up the script there. Credit to Jericho O'Quinn. Just goes to show that, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, just because you're dominating every single second of a fight, one punch can change it all, man. Boy, oh boy, I feel for Peter McGraw. I'm absolutely gutted for him. Um, yeah, feel for him, man. What a terrible Christmas it's going to be. Um, wish him all the best with his comeback. We need the rematch now. The only problem is Peter McGraw, he, he was a good amateur, but he's not really a big name as a pro at all. I don't think he sells too many tickets. I could be completely wrong. But obviously, he went on the road here to America. I don't know if they're going to pay Jericho O'Quinn loads of money to come to the UK. It's probably a fight that's only going to happen again in America. And I don't know if he's going to be the top of Eddie Hearn's priority list now for a rematch. I just don't know. So I'm hoping that, you know, somewhere Peter McGraw's doing okay. And hopefully he can redeem himself here. 
But yeah, it was terrible. Um, Galau Yafai with a win, a unanimous decision over over um, ten rounds. Um, he's now six and zero. Oh, like I say, unanimous over ten against Rocco Santamauro, who's now twenty two and three. Close and competitive fight. Uh, Galau Yafai again. You know, I think sometimes likes to hold his feet a little bit too long, trade shots, and he ends up taking some some you know some hefty shots. And you kind of think to yourself, if this guy you know, in the opposite corner was more of a puncher, you know, he'd be in some big trouble here. Um, I don't know if Galau Yafai just kind of takes liberties because he knows that the guy isn't as big a puncher. But I mean, look, we just spoke about Jericho O'Quinn, you know, the, the fight before this. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it really. But for an Olympic gold medalist, I'm expecting him to be a little bit less hittable moving forward. I'm hoping that he can do that. Um, but yeah, he's a good fighter, you know, fundamentally really good, but yeah, I think he's a little bit caught in between styles at the moment, but yeah, Santa Mauro was a good fighter, good test, that one was a defense of Yafai's WBC international flyweight title, also on the card, Murajon Akhmadaliev, now 12-1, and one, a TKO for him in round 8 against the undefeated Kevin Gonzalez, now 26-1 and one with a draw, that one was an eliminator there for the WBA super bantamweight title, all the best to MJ, um, kind of had like one off night against Marlon Tapales and he's kind of been thrown aside a little bit, good to see him back with a good win there, some people were actually picking Gonzalez for the upset, obviously it didn't happen, and then yeah, Jesse Bam Rodriguez, Eddie, I'm going to come to you in a sec, but he's now 19-0, and a retirement in the corner after nine rounds for uh, for him against Sonny Edwards of, of the UK, who now loses his old friend of the show, now 20-1, and one, a unification for the IBF and WBO flyweight world titles. I tell you what, I'm going to run through the rounds. Um, really, really good fight. You know, you could see from the first round, two boxing chess players. Um, I couldn't remember the last time I'd been this excited for a flyweight fight. <laughs> um, but yeah, I gave the first round to Sonny Edwards. I felt that he was beating uh, Bam Rodriguez to the punch a little bit. Um, round two, I gave to Bam Rodriguez. Already, though, in that second round, you could see Sonny's left eye was beginning to swell. He got caught with a big shot, and I thought to myself, it's very early for that to be going on. Um, it made it made Sonny change stances for a little while as well in that round, which I don't think is a good sign. You get caught with a shot, all of a sudden you you switch stances and you move the eye a bit further away from the from the gloves of the other man. It's not really good when it's not your natural style. I know that Sonny can sort of switch and that, but I think he's much better being orthodox anyway. Um, yeah, Bam was beginning to find his range better in the second round. Round three, a really close round. Um, I, I already felt that Edwards was fighting the wrong fight. He was trying to, you know, stay in the pocket with, with Rodriguez and trade with him. I gave Sonny that round, but it was close. It could have gone either way. Round four, I gave to Sonny. So, again, it's already looking a bit controversial on my card. Three to one for Sonny Edwards. Um, a close round, though. Like I say, a couple of close rounds in there. Um, I felt that Sonny was starting to get his timing going. He was countering Rodriguez, but I knew there's still a long way to go. Round five was a really close round. And I have to say, I'd give it to Sonny if I was pushed, but it easily could have gone the other way. So I was starting to already think like, wow, what is the judges scoring this, man? Because, it, it, you know, three close rounds out of five, and then one was clear for either man, in my opinion. 
Um, round six, that is where the screw started to turn. Massive round for Rodriguez. Momentarily trapped Sonny Edwards on the ropes and just unloaded on him. Rodriguez poked his tongue out. Sonny Edwards came back at him with some big shots himself just to close out the round, but a big Rodriguez round, and the face of Edwards again started to look worse and worse. Round seven, another damaging round for Sonny Edwards. He was taking a lot of punishment there, shipping way too many shots from Bam's gloves. Round eight, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was more of the same of the prior rounds. It was like the second half of the fight had just turned into a dogfight. There wasn't too much boxing skill on show. Edwards, like I say, wanted to stand and trade with Rodriguez. Afterwards, he said, because Rodriguez's feet were, were you know, they weren't slow enough for him to box rings around him. I think he should give himself a bit more credit, to be honest. I think I think if, if we could see that fight replayed, I'd like to just see Sonny stick to his old style. I don't think he did himself any favours, but I can understand the thinking behind it, and I think Bam was probably always just going to win the fight. But yeah, like I say, round eight, he took another beat in Sonny Edwards, big Rodriguez round, and I wrote here, I don't see it lasting much longer. And then round nine, a crazy round, Bam started well, again, bludgeoning Edwards, but then Edwards was finishing the round really well, and then obviously gets dropped, gets back up, the bell goes, goes back to his corner, has a small conversation with the trainer, Grant Smith, and then Grant Smith stops the fight. Crazy fight. Um, Bam Rodriguez for the stoppage was 5-1. to one. I did go small on that. I thought that was a crazy price. Um, so that was a winner. I know that, Eddie, you needed the final leg of your parlay was for Sonny Edwards to win on points. Um, he would have probably been down, to be honest, even if it did go that far. But really good fight. And you know what? The flyweights don't get enough credit being the little weights. But what we saw, Eddie, and I think you'll agree, is a chess match. And then a brawl in one fight. We don't often yeah, see that. Yeah, man. It's, I've heard, you know what I mean, a little bit from it. It would have been my first win, honestly, since I've been on this, which is kind of unfortunate. And I like Sonny Edwards. I like what he brings to the table. I like that boxer first mentality. Good, good technically, good, good IQ, great IQ, actually. Uh, uh, you know, uh, sticking to boxing for the most part. So it kind of surprised, it's kind of a bit of a surprise to see him trying to trade, but I can understand you got to sometimes stand up to the guy to be able to get your stuff off, to make him second guess uh, just coming in. So, you know, it, it, I understand the sentiment of what he was doing in, 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 in his thinking, but it's unfortunate that, you know, this, this kid can punch and he's a great fighter. You know, he has, he, he can, he can, pretty much do either way you know he can box he can also he can also come in and turn the fight up and actually has the power to get you out of there which unfortunately Sonny Edwards is not the biggest puncher in boxing so it's just unfortunate that it had to turn out the way it did I mean it would have been great as a distance fight but you could see as the fight started to get further further in he started taking more damage and you could tell Bam punches pretty good because you see the damage start to form quick and, you know, that's just typically a sign of that, you know, when they can't, when the face can't hold it, or that's a sign of somebody else that's not, you know, doesn't have the, <laughs> doesn't have the cuts real high, like on the game, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, it's unfortunate uh, that, you know, Sonny had to, you know, had to lose the, in the way he did. It's unfortunate for me too. <laughs> it's unfortunate in general, but uh, Bam Rodriguez, like he, like Sonny said, was the better man. And, and, and you know, it was always going to be, a situation of who could, whose style, I guess, in this. And like I said, we're, they're both, like you said, they're both chess players, but it's whose style. You know what I mean? I think, I think with, uh, with Bam being that he can punch 
or box. He had more more wrinkles. You know what I mean? So, you know, when he got where, where he was able to land a couple big shots, he's able to set up Sonny a little bit a little bit better in that regard. He was able to come in. And then it's funny, like we was talking to also, he got a little too close and stayed in front of him a little too long. When you're a good boxer like that and you got good range, you got good boxing ability, you typically want to keep the guy turning and and have him fight at your pace. But it's just it just turned on his head kind of kind of quick. You know what I mean? And I mean, Sonny Edwards had some rounds in in the middle of the fight that were that were going his way, kind of, but they were close. And anytime rounds like that are close, you can go either way. And then obviously the scorecards can look crazy wide or they can be close. And then he started to, you know, really start taking a beating later. And then obviously getting stopped. You know, well, I guess he, you know, he got stopped in, in the corner. But it's just unfortunate, man. He's a, he's a really good fighter. I want to see him come back, and I'm pretty sure when he does come back, he's he's going to do pretty well. All the best to him in 2024. And then moving to the final card to mention, it went down at the Armory in Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA. Again, I want to come to you, Eddie, if you saw any of this, but Robert the Ghost Guerrero, friend of the show, got in there with Andre Berto, friend of the show. Um, Robert Guerrero with the unanimous decision win over 10 rounds, very much the same as the first fight 11 years ago. Guerrero now 38-6 and six with a draw. He did say after the fight that, hey, I want want a title shot. I want to have another run. Um, I don't know if he was amped up in the moment. I hope hope he's not serious. But um, Andre Berto, man, I mean, I see pictures of him at the weigh-in. Like, the shape the guy's in is just unbelievable. I I mean, mean, I'm not a fighter, but God almighty, if I was a fighter and I'd been out the game for five years, I'd want to look exactly like Andre Berto. Um, honestly, guy, guy's in phenomenal shape, but like I say, too much inactivity, and he's now 32-6, and six, and hopefully we don't see him again. I don't know if you saw any of that, Eddie. If you didn't, that's fine. Moving on, Chris Colbert, I don't know if you saw this, he's now 17-2. and two. It was a rematch between him and Jose Valenzuela, who arguably beat him in the first fight but didn't get the decision. It was a rematch. Valenzuela knocked Colbert down in the first fight, and here, not him out in round six and it was a brutal brutal knockout I have to say I thought Colbert could win on points I thought the fight would probably go to distance obviously Colbert didn't get stopped in the first one and every time he got hurt he kind of came back and early on in the fight it was like a carbon copy of the first fight because Valenzuela was having a lot of success landing big shots then Colbert would come back I think Valenzuela nicked a few of the first early rounds and then Colbert had his moments as well. But then, like I say, gets hit with this shot that just put him face down and it was a it was a brutal KO. Um, there's a snapshot of Valenzuela just kind of doing like a squat right next to him. The referee's there and, and Colbert's out on the floor and it's, it's quite a cold boxing photo. People are saying, is it the coldest photo of the year? Probably is. But yeah, good for Jose Valenzuela. Quite an honest post-fight interview with him as well in the ring. He said, I don't think that you know, we should do the third fight. Colbert wanted the third fight. He said it's one apiece, but Valenzuela said, look, I think I won the first fight and I've completely closed the book now in the second fight. So Chris Colbert finds himself in a difficult position, 17-2. and two. Jose Valenzuela like, Valenzuela, like I say, now 13-2. and two. All the best to him. Um, and yeah, the main event over here, again, it was a bit of a shame that both the fight cards clashed. Obviously, the Sonny Edwards card and then this David Morrell card. But David Morrell moved to 10-0, and 0, as we expected, a knockout against Senna Agbeko of Ghana, now 28-3. and 3. 
Um, a bit of a mismatch, in all honesty. Um, I think it it was you could really see that in the ring. Um, David Morrell, brutal. When he had Agbeko hurt, he just went in for the kill. Um, if my memory serves me right, I think he sort of half dropped him, but then Agbeko sort of bounced back up and took some more shots. It's never really a clever thing. You get out of a knockdown because the referee's kind of not quick getting in there, so you don't get a count, and it doesn't count as a you know, like a potential 10-8 round because he, he kind of quickly bounced back up kind of thing. But then also you don't get the vital seconds to to recover. So um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the right fight. But anyway, I did see the finish. I saw Agbeko on the ropes just taking some heavy, heavy shots. Credit to him for standing there and taking them. But the referee jumped in and waved it off and did the right thing there for Agbeko's health. So a good win for David Morrell. Uh, defense there of his WBA World Super Middleweight title. And that brings the review part to a close. Eddie, did you see any of that in that card just before we bring in Jeff Hall? No, no, I didn't even get a chance to see it. I was, watching, I was paying a little bit too much attention to the other fight. I thought as it was Christmas, you might have watched it, but you've let the listeners my down bad. again. My bad. Okay, I'm no sorry problem. about that. <laughs> Right, here we go. That is the end of the review part. It's now time to welcome this year's Christmas special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO welterweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Jeff Horn. Jeff, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So, Jeff, I want to start this interview the same as I do with all my other interviews of this nature. Where did the journey first ever begin for you? What's your earliest memory of first ever lacing up a pair of gloves or going to a boxing gym? Uh, The first ever was going to my trainer's house, which was Glenn Rushton, and um, it wasn't really a gym that we went to. It was his house, but his house was a... a massive mansion of a place and we were thinking is this where the boxing club is and we walk up and um lo and behold a light in the corner on the side of the house and we walk in and there's a heap of people doing um martial arts and boxing there we go and also, I should mention as well, you you were a late starter to the sport. You got into it, if I'm not mistaken, in the very first place due to being a victim of bullying, Jeff. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I got in a fair few fights. Well, not a heap of fights, but a couple of fights at school. And um, I didn't really go too well in those either. And I thought when I start going out to nightclubs and things, that people can be very silly, especially with alcohol. And um, I was going to learn how to protect myself and my and my girlfriend at the time. And um, I went to the, the nearest martial arts gym to learn self-defense. And obviously that snowballed. You, like many other fighters, obviously started off as an amateur. And I'd like to ask this question also. What was your highlight moment of your amateur career? I know you boxed a bunch of great fighters in, as an amateur, but I'm going to take a wild guess and say favourite memory or highlight moment had to be representing Australia at those 2012 Olympic Games in my hometown of London. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. That was a... A momentous, I guess, occasion in my career, and it was a highlight. It was definitely the highlight of my amateur career, uh, fighting for my country and um, doing pretty well at it, but didn't quite get a medal at those Olympics. Yeah, it was, it was a tough year. Um, you made your pro debut in the end, March the 1st, 2013, a Friday night in Victoria. You boxed a guy by the name of Jody Allen. Uh, you won the fight by TKO in round two. 
What can you remember yeah. of your What can you remember of your debut? Do you remember maybe having any nerves? I can remember being nervous, but I was confident as well because I I was an Olympian and I'd done all these things with the amateurs as well. So, um, but I guess the lesson I learned in that very first fight was how tough the pros were. That's what Jody Allen taught me. I punched him with everything. And somehow the guy just kept on standing and I, I didn't know how his lights weren't out. So, um, yeah, he was incredibly tough. And I was like, okay, now I know that the toughness that some of these pros are going to have. <laughs> and I want to get inside my virtual time machine now and jump forward to April 27th, 2016, a Wednesday night in South Brisbane. You were 13-0 and with one draw at the time. You boxed former two-weight world champion Randall Bailey. You had him down in the second. He had you down in the third. Ultimately, though, Randall retired on his stool after seven rounds. We had Randall on the show a couple years ago, and he said, yeah, I pulled myself out. I'd had enough in the corner. Um, it was his final career fight. But talk me through that fight, obviously going down for the first time in your career and just getting in with a former world champion who could punch like crazy, Jeff. Yeah, look, I, I'd seen a bit of Randall Bailey and I guess like when people watch me on, on footage, I don't look at that that superb probably uh, to watch boxing style-wise. We know Devin Haney or Lomachenko or anyone like that, but... Um, so I, th I thought I would easily be able to outbox him, but he he was just awkward, and um, yeah, I, I've used my awkwardness then against him, and uh, was able to. I, th I felt like Randall Bailey's style is quite slow, but he's very uh, articulate with what punches he throws, and he's just watching very carefully for that knockout shot, which is why he's called the knockout king, and. Um, I was able to maintain my, my rhythm. He did get me in, in the third round, but I was able to regather back and recover and uh, keep doing what I was doing. And I think the peppering him to the body definitely made Randall Bailey quit, quit on his stool. Well, I, should say, I shouldn't say quit. Uh, retire on his stool uh, because I guess he was just copping too much of those body shots. You say there that you shouldn't say quit. Um, I gave him a way out when I was interviewing him and we spoke about the fight. I said, your corner pulled you out. He went, no, 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 no. Correction, I didn't want to carry on. So I think it's clear. <laughs> um, the stoppage... <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like it's, 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 I guess, as a boxer, yeah, it's, a, it's a, I guess, a well-known thing that you don't like saying people quit at something. And I guess... He, he retired on his stool. He knew he wasn't going to get the victory and he knew he was just going to go through some more punishment. So he was probably, he was, did the smart move and to say, I'm, I'm not going to get him. I can feel I'm not going to get this guy. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pull, pull the pin now. Absolutely. And that stoppage against Randall Bailey was your first stoppage of a three-fight stoppage streak. And a fun fact is that the only other time you stopped three guys in a row was your first three fights as a pro. So, yeah, the first against Randall Bailey, the second against Rico Muller, and the third against Ali Funica. Uh, this then leads us beautifully into your next fight. It's a date I'm sure you'll never forget. July the 2nd, 2017. At home in Brisbane, in the opposite corner, stood a man who is the epitome of a boxing legend, Mr. Manny Pacquiao. The fight was for his WBO welterweight world title. The fight goes 12 rounds. You win unanimously. 
talk me through that unbelievable performance and you know just how it felt to finally become a world champion against a fighter like Manny. Yeah, look, I knew I was the 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 bigger frame going into that that boxing fight. I knew I was bigger than Manny Pacquiao. He's a smaller but explosive guy, and I knew what strategy uh, I needed to have to, to take his advantage away from him. And he was um, that explosiveness that he has. I was able to to smother him and make sure that he didn't have the space to to use his powerful legs and. Um, shoot at shoot at me. So uh, I took care of that, and um, yeah, I just made sure I was super fit, and I was able to keep going at Manny Pacquiao. And I had that belief because when taught me to believe in myself, the, my goal as a when I very first started was to become a world champion, and uh, that was the, the the mega opportunity I got against a superstar like Manny Pacquiao. I remember watching the fight live, and during the first round, I remember actually putting a bet on it for you to win. I just had this feeling, uh-huh. it was about 30 seconds into the fight, and I just had this feeling you were going to do it. Um, one thing I want to touch on as well, I felt that your trainer, Glenn Rushton, was excellent in the corner for the entire fight. And also, it was brilliant when referee Mark Nelson came over to your corner late on in the fight between rounds and mentioned something about stopping the fight. And Glenn said something yeah. along the lines of, we're winning the fight, you idiot. Um, <laughs> that was a mad moment, Jeff, as well. <laughs> Yes, it was. Um, I guess he was calm in the corner from uh, pretty much that whole fight. Uh, kept me calm as well. And um, I guess he was confident as well because he felt like I was winning the fight. Like I was I was doing exactly what we trained to do and what I envisioned what I could do to Manny Pacquiao. And he was like, yeah, you, you're winning this fight. So, like, well done. So I guess that, that kept him calm in there as well. And... Um, but we, we did think that we needed to stop many Pacquiao probably to get the victory, even though I know a lot of judges out there don't like me really saying it. But um, we know what boxing can be like sometimes. And uh, I thought I needed to knock many Pacquiao out to get the, that victory. And I was standing there at the end of the fight not expecting my name to be, to be read out. So I was absolutely on top of the world when I heard NU. And you say there that you were on top of the world, Jeff. Um yeah, describe for me if you can that feeling and maybe how life changed if it did after that. Yeah, look, I had achieved my my goal. Like my life goal as a kid was to become a, a world fa- famous, uh, I guess, athlete. Uh, when I was younger, it was to be a soccer player, and I did that for twelve years. That didn't go any good. So uh, the next thing that kind of came into my life was boxing, and uh, I was able to achieve my dream of becoming uh, the best in the world at that time. And uh, I was I was very proud of myself. And um, I can remember getting goosebumps and being just so happy when I was, the decision was announced and uh, it was a dream come true. <laughs> and I think while we're on the topic of the fight, um, I always felt that you won. I just want to put it out there. I always felt that you won. A lot of people didn't, but I always felt you were deserving of the victory. In some parts of the world, there was outrage with the decision. But how was it actually yeah. received in Australia, Jeff? Yeah, it was. Um, it was good here. People, people. A lot of people that actually, a lot of people in Australia watched the fight and. Um, they 
were were cheering me on and and thinking that I was doing doing well in the fight. So um, I guess when the judges even look back at it and go and rescore the fight, they go, well, yeah, he's he's controlling the fight. He's 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 throwing the the bigger punches and yeah. Even though Manny Pacquiao might have got me in, in round nine uh, with with a couple of good shots, uh, a couple of good shots doesn't change uh, nine rounds of boxing. No, I agree. And I say there that some people were outraged. Um, I'm going to exclude Australia for a moment. But do you ever feel like you were given enough credit for beating a legend like Manny by maybe some of the other fans, not Australian fans, though? Um, look, I, I normally didn't. Anyone that I kind of spoke to uh, would be fine to my face and uh, can congratulate me and stuff, except for Teddy Atlas, especially straight after the fight. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, every, everyone seemed, seemed to be quite, quite happy with it and, um, happy with me as champion. And, uh, it was only really the online world that kind of was spiraling out of control and saying that I, I shouldn't be world champion. And your first title defense took place back in Brisbane against the UK's very own Gary Corcoran uh, Gary Corcoran friend of the show December 13th 2017 was the day a Wednesday evening you won the contest in the end in round 11 a stoppage uh, talk us through that fight my man uh, Gary was he was a tough guy he was a game fighter oh, yeah he was a he was a very tough guy he, um, he came to fight that's for sure he was a, he was a tough test for me uh after Manny Pacquiao, he was he was a he was a bigger guy, and um, he definitely he had probably similar similar he was similar I guess he was the same weight class as me, but he was pretty pretty similar exactly to how big I was, and um, he was a he was a good boxer as well. So it was a it was a tough fight uh, until it lasted. I got him with a couple of good shots, and uh, eventually got him. And during that time in the UK, there were strong rumours at the time of a fight between you and Bradley Skeet. How close, though, was that actually uh, to happening, Jeff? Because in the UK, we heard strong rumours, but again, we're so far far away from Australia. Just speaking to you now, I wondered how close that fight ever was to actually taking place. Look, I do remember Bradley's name coming up and and talking about it at one stage, Uh, I don't know if it was instead of Gary Corcoran that we we're going to be going skeet. Maybe it was close at one point that we we're going to be going that way, but um, I can't really remember exactly kind of how things kind of ran back that time. But I do remember Bradley's name coming up as well and as a, a potential contender. Yeah, no, for sure. And your second defence of the title came on June 9th, 2018 at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. You stepped in with the undefeated former WBO lightweight and undisputed super lightweight champion of the world. A man that, for me, uh, what are we now, five years later, is the pound-for-pound king, Terence Crawford. You sadly lost the fight by TKO in the ninth. Uh, The ninth round was... was, uh, not your luckiest of rounds. It seemed to be a pattern in your <laughs> career. Um, you were yeah. dethroned in Crawford's first fight at the weight. Um, look look what he's gone on to achieve, though, Jeff. I think, for me, there's zero shame in losing to Crawford. But just talk me through the fight. No. Another night sharing the ring with a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, look, I thought I was going to be, um, like I thought with Manny Pacquiao, I thought I was going to be able to 
um, out-muscle Terence Crawford in there and um, break him down over the distance. But uh, he's just a sharpshooter, Crawford, and he's, his boxing IQ is uh, very, very high. And he was able to pick me to pieces, I guess, through that fight. And, um, yeah, he just eventually got me with a couple too many and was able to stop me in that ninth round. And uh, he is... I'm definitely very happy for Crawford and um, definitely cheering him on as to take the bigger and better fights out there. And uh, he's already proved he's an absolute champion and I'm sure um, he will be remembered for a long time. Yeah, I agree. And just five months later, you're back in Brisbane fighting at pretty much middleweight. I think it may have been a catchweight fight when you boxed um, former two-time WBA super middleweight world champion Anthony Mundine. You get the stoppage in the very first round when you dropped him hard. You could hear his head smashing against the canvas. He tried to get back mm-hmm. up. The referee waved it off. Um, it was a short fight. But tell us about that one as well, Jeff. Yeah, look, Mundine's a big name. Uh, definitely here in Australia, uh, he's, he likes to to cause a lot of mayhem before the fight with things that he says and uh, what he says about his opponent as well. Uh, but Mundine was a, a nice guy away from the uh, away from the cameras and the and the microphones, so um, I didn't have anything hard against anything bad against Mundine. He was um, he was a good guy behind closed doors and. Um, yeah, he just I just got him with a really good shot in that very first round and uh, it was just a sweet time shot that landed around his temple and um, it was down and out. <laughs> I remember before the fight, it, it, it was a little bit distasteful in the build-up. Um, it's good to hear that behind closed doors, he's maybe not that bad. Um, but yeah, I, I was going to ask, did it make the victory even sweeter? Because I, I believe he said you were only, pop, only popular because of your skin colour. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's how Mundine's kind of been, I guess, throughout his whole career. And he might, he might, be, I think he probably believes a little bit as well that um, there's favoritism with, with white people. But um, Australia's a very multicultural place, and uh, we treat everyone as equal as possible. And um, yeah, I, I guess uh, Mundine had he had he, had his views, but um, some of them were, I think, a little bit uh, not quite accurate yeah and nine months later you're back out again this time in bendigo uh, this time properly at middleweight you boxed michael zarafa august 31st 2019 was the date you were down in the second you got back up you were down again in the ninth round once again that torrid ninth round and again you got back up but you end up getting stopped in that same round um talk me through that one jeff it left a lot of people thinking maybe the move from welterweight to middleweight was too great a jump Yes, and I think those people might be right <laughs> by by saying that. I think that that weight jump, I I definitely realised uh, the weight with Michael Zarafa that he was a he was a he was a bigger and stronger guy, and uh, those extra few kilos were definitely an advantage for him, and uh, that's why I guess I could I couldn't really get him, and I. I thought I was going to be able to get. This is always my mindset when I've had a, had a loss. Uh, when I thought it was going to be an easier fight than it was, well, like what I thought with Crawford, I thought he was a smaller guy. I was going to be able to outmuscle him. Didn't happen. I thought Michael Zarafa probably wasn't as good as a boxer as he as he was. I thought I was going to be have too much experience for him. He beat me 
uh, as well. And that's basically been how my career's gone. If I've underestimated an opponent just a little bit, that's when I've had my losses. And what's crazy is the rematch with Michael Zarafa took place uh, December 18th of that year. So just four months later, which looking back now seems a bit crazy. Back in Brisbane too, uh, this time it was you who scored two knockdowns, both in that crazy ninth round that we just cannot forget. Um, you were cut, you were covered in blood. Zarafa was coming on strong in that round. You took a lot of big shots, but you managed to land that peach of a right hand to put him down. He gets back up. You put him down again. Incredible drama in that round. And obviously you go on to win a majority decision and avenge that loss to Zarafa. I mean, what a fight. Talk me through that, Jeff. Oh, look, it was it was an absolute brutal fight, that's for sure. Um, but I knew I had it in me uh, to, to beat Michael Zarafa, um, even though, I guess, if you're talking these days with the hunger that I've gotten in the sport, I, I don't think I'd be able to beat Michael Zarafa now. But, um, look, he was definitely a superb fighter and uh, I definitely underestimated him and how, how physical he can be in there. And uh, he taught me a, a valuable lesson once again. And your final fight took place eight months later, August 26th, 2020, against the undefeated and future WBO, super welterweight world champion, Tim Sue. You were down in the third and the sixth before, in the end, not coming out for the ninth round. Um, talk us through that one briefly, Jeff. I guess maybe Tim was just a bit too fresh. Yeah, yeah, that was- the same thing, underestimating him, thinking I was going to be able to outmuscle Tim Zhu, and uh, he's definitely got some great boxing skills uh, in him, that's for sure. And he was able to wear me down. He's got some excellent body shots. Uh, he punished me there brutally throughout the fight, which definitely exhausted me by by my round nine kind of time. And uh, yeah, he was able to get rid of me as well. And some fighters retire immediately after their last fight. You took a long, long time to formally retire. Why was that, Jeff? Yeah. Were you contemplating coming back during that time, maybe? I was. If I had a, a good enough offer to come back, I even had said if someone offers me over a million dollars to come back and fight again, uh, there was potential for me to come back. But I always had people either offer me a million dollars to, to come back and fight Michael's Rafa after having a couple of years off. And I saw that as a disaster waiting to happen if I was to do that. So uh, that was a no. And then I got an offer to fight someone else, another random kind of fighter uh, below the top level. And uh, that was for 750000 just chopping me short of my million-dollar uh, call-out. And uh, so I was like, no, I'm not, not fighting if you're not offering me a million dollars. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the reasons for your retirement was memory issues. Talk to me about that if you can, Jeff. Look, I've I've had a useless memory for my whole life, to be honest. Uh, and people uh, put more on this than uh, there probably is. And um, I'm I'm just kind of I forget things. Uh, I'm very, I guess chilled and calm person and, and relaxed and probably for that reason I, I forget a lot of things and uh but there were some little things that I was forgetting around that time that I was like I probably shouldn't I shouldn't forget this but 
maybe it was because my life was just so busy and it was so hectic and so many things going on and I was, I was forgetting things and um, I feel like that might have been a reason uh, towards it. So you retired with a record of 20 wins, three losses and one draw. Um, it's important to note that the three losses, two were to future Hall of Famers, one obviously to Tim Sue, who's still undefeated, now a reigning world champion. Who knows, he could wind up in the in the Hall of Fame someday too. Um, time for some quick fire questions before we let you go, Jeff. I've got about six more to come. Um, Favourite win of your career? Many Pacquiao, for sure. Okay. Um, well, when I say quick fire, it doesn't mean you completely don't have to expand. You can if you want. <laughs> okay. Many okay. Um, Pacquiao, because he's someone that I looked up to in the sport uh, from the very beginning. He, he's an absolute legend uh, and nice guy. doesn't normally trash talk or anything. So I was very similar to Many Pacquiao in that way and treating other people the way that I'd like to be treated and... Um, yeah, he was he was just a all all time great guy and a superb fighter, and I was I had the pleasure to share the ring with him and get the victory against him. Hardest puncher that you ever shared a ring with? Uh, that would have to be Randall Bailey. That <laughs> that shot that he got me with, he was um, he has definitely some lead in his hands, that's for sure. <laughs> and best opponent all round that you shared a ring with? I would have to say that. Terence Crawford. He's um, he was very good, very good boxing skills. Uh, was able to walk me into a lot of punches, and um, as a small guy, he definitely made his power, um, I guess, known to me by making me walk, being smart, making me walk onto his shots. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous fighter. Um, was there anyone that you'd have liked to have had the chance to fight, but it didn't quite come off? I did. I called out straight after my Manny Pacquiao fight. I called out Floyd Mayweather uh, for a fight um, in hope to have a mega fight there against him. And he wasn't interested in that. So, But that's what all fighters want. They want uh, to fight the, the, the money man, which is Money Mayweather. And um, that was my next target, was to, to fight the all-time great Floyd Mayweather. So, uh, But that didn't come to fruition. And now... I, I just went on to do my business. And my next question, I love it when I ask this, this question to fighters and they respond with the answer, no. But I don't know what you're going to say. Were there any regrets? Are there any regrets if you could go back in time and change something, would you? Uh, look, I, I guess, uh, like I was telling you before, if I was to not underestimate an opponent, uh, I might have gone on to do bigger and better things in the sport again. So uh, I didn't underestimate many Pacquiao, that's for sure, and I got that victory. And if I if I didn't underestimate Michael Zrafa, I might have had a massive fight against Murata over in Japan. Um, got some big money for that fight, and then um, the same with Tim Zhu. I'd be going on doing bigger things now if I was able to not um, underestimate him as well. So. Um, who, who knows what would happen, but I regret at times in my career underestimating opponents. Yeah, that's not that's not the worst regret ever, so that, that that's not a bad thing, I don't think. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot slightly here. I like to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from overseas, Jeff. Favourite UK fighter 
any era, who springs to mind? <laughs> oh, oh, I'd have to say it would have to be Amir Khan or, or Kel Brook, one of those two guys. Um, they were in my weight divisions. I had eyes on them for, for quite some time, and I would have loved to have got a fight against one of those two, but um, it just wasn't wasn't able to happen. And yeah. Two two great fighters at the time for sure, and I want to ask you as well, Jeff. What what are you up to now? What keeps you busy now, my friend? I got a program that we run in schools uh, all over Queensland and Australia. Uh, it's called Bullyproof Australia, and um, our goal is to to change lives and help save lives against bullying. And uh, we teach kids the skills and and things that they need to be able to manage life. To manage conflict in life because uh, a lot of the time people don't know what to do and uh, just simple conflict situations can turn into bullying and then you have kids taking their own life and uh, that's the the worst thing that can happen I could only imagine losing my children to, to bullying and um, I don't want to let it happen to anyone so uh, we're doing the best we can to put this program through all schools um, in the country and hopefully all over the world and credit to you, my friend. That's that's a beautiful thing. I'm so happy that someone with your platform, with your life experience, even is 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 channeling uh, into something like this. It's it's a remarkable thing. So pat on the back from me there. Um, I want to ask you the last Thanks, real question, and it, and it's an important question, Jeff. Are you a happy man? Looking back now, 2023, coming to the end of the year, but are you, are you happy? Do you, do you 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 happy in life right now, Jeff? Yeah. Yes, I'm very happy. Um, I've got a beautiful, beautiful wife, uh, three beautiful children, a uh, loving family around me and friends. Um, I've got massive supporters over my career that have turned into to great friends as well. And um, look, I, I, I couldn't be happier, to, to be honest. I'm, I'm on top of the world and um, just loving life at the moment and uh, wouldn't change anything. I'm so pleased for you because a lot of a lot of fighters, especially ex-fighters that I speak to, uh, are not too pleased with the life they have right now, and it's sad. But I'm happy to hear that you're in a great place. Just before we wrap it up, Jeff, if you just want to sign out this interview with any closing words to the listeners, if you want to send a message, particularly to UK listeners, uh, for guys that have supported you throughout your career, or if you just want to s- finish with any message, uh, uh, the floor is yours. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'd just like to, to say thank you for all the support uh, that people have shown me in the past as a professional fighter and um, I, I guess wish everyone else the success in their lives and um, just I guess keep an eye out for Bullyproof Australia or just the Bullyproof program that will be coming uh, all over the world uh, someday soon and um, we're going to help change the lives of our children and our what a beautiful thing. Listen, Jeff, it's been an absolute honour speaking with you this week. Thanks for walking down memory lane with me. I want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and I hope we can speak again someday, my friend. Thanks, Joey. See you, mate. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. I hope you all enjoyed the Jeff Horn interview just there. It's really good to get someone like that on, um, and that's what we do on a Christmas show. Go and kind of get someone from the past, you know, an interesting guest with uh, 
with with their own story um you know that's not really relevant to this week or anything i like to do that on the christmas special shows that we do every year uh it's now time for the news though we're going to start here with this one obviously last week the fight ended up falling through julio cesar martinez against angelino cordova it was postponed due to julio cesar martinez having issues getting into the country into the united states he had some visa issues so that one has been postponed um it's going to be rescheduled for 2024 no date just yet though so we'll, we'll see what happens with that um matchroom have announced three february fight nights it's going to be live on the zone all three of them let's start with the first one february the 10th the rematch between connor walker and cyrus patterson that goes down in newcastle again february the 10th uh also on the 16th of uh, February as well. In Mexico, it's a Friday, we're going to see the rematch between Adrian Curiel and Sivanafi Nonchinga. Obviously, they boxed a couple, I think it was a couple months ago. Nonchinga got stopped. It was a massive upset, and the South African gets a chance here to run it back for the IBF light flyweight world title, of course. Um, also, we will see Podrag McCrory Step in there with Edgar Belanga. That should be an interesting fight there. That goes down in Orlando on February the 24th. So, uh, yeah, some some nice nice fights there announced for February from Matram. Uh, what else do we have? We're going to see a fight here that's going to go down on March the 2nd. It's from top rank, this one. We're going to see Otabek Kolmatov step in the ring with Raymond Ford. That one for the vacant WBA featherweight world title. The unbeaten Southpaws, WBA's number one and number two boxing there for the vacant belt, like we say. Um, what else do we have? I believe that is all. Right, let's go straight to the preview part then. We're going to start with the huge one that goes down on Saturday. Absolutely cannot wait. Been dying for this card um, and I think there's some interesting fights there, Eddie. We're going to probably talk about every single one. Some of them brief, some of them a little bit more in depth, but it's such a superstar card. Um, I'm going to start with I'm going to start with the undercard and just work the way up. I think, of course, um, there's a few fights here where I think we're going to disagree on outcomes. But let's start with this one here, which I think we're, we're probably both going to agree here. Philip Hergovic, 16-0 in a 10-rounder here against friend of the show, nice guy, Mark Damori, 41-2 with two draws. Um, I think Mark Damori is grossly overmatched here. We know that he really pads up that record. I was at his last fight that he lost, which was back in 2016, um, in, in, in January 2016, when he got stopped in a round to David Hay, 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0 on a comeback at heavyweight after some time out the ring. Um, I was there when he got stopped there in a round. Since then, though, he's put together this crazy run. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 fights. 10 by KO, um, he boxed in September, went the distance with a guy who was 16 and 20 with two draws, he's, he's very much padding up the record at the moment, like I say, 41 wins, 36 KOs, but yeah, I expect him to get stopped, he's now 41 years of age, um, but yeah, I'm expecting him to get stopped here, Eddie, and I can see it coming within the first four rounds, Maybe within the first three rounds, to play it safe, I'd say within the first six. 
that's my man, Mark Demori, man. Mark Demori came to camp with uh, the Tyson Fury group. I mean, I'm sorry, I said the Tyson Fury. How stupid do I sound? The Fury camp when when I was there, and really, really good dude, man. Like I can't can't say uh, you know too bad of a word about him, but it, it was he had a hard time, which most guys who came into that camp were so not expecting it to be what it was when they got there. But um, yeah, a great guy, decent fighter as far as skills and everything, and obviously. But like you said, padded record hasn't really been uh, in with a lot of great competition, and you know that he's beaten. And now he's stepping in with somebody who's a young guy, a young lion, hungry, and and looking to challenge for a world title at some point in this in the future. And it's just if there was going to be an upset in a fight that would just you know make me just by you know it, it would just be like almost impossible to happen this would be the fight you can almost and i hate to say this but you can almost put it in the books now in the first two to three rounds four rounds max i just don't see it going much further than that um i don't think mark has enough to keep hergovich off we all know how busy of a guy he is i just think it's I'm, I'm i'm actually taking too much time explaining it he really doesn't really need much more explanation than it's just gonna be a tough night for mark unfortunately yeah i agree i was gonna just say yeah let's let's try to speed it up a little bit uh we we're also gonna see frank sanchez eddie 23 and 0 um he boxed gatekeeper scott alexander in his last fight even though he did stop scott alexander he did get hit with a shot that buckled his legs and uh, you know, for a moment or two, he was, he was, you know, it was a bit worrying actually watching Frank Sanchez there. He gets in though with Junior Farr of New Zealand. Junior Farr though hasn't boxed in 14 months, and 14 months ago he stopped a guy in one round. The guy was naught and six. The fight before that, which took place four months earlier, he was stopped in one round to Lucas Brown. Although that looks like a terrible loss, I don't think it was as bad as it looks on paper because. Basically, he hurt Brown, and he went in for the kill and got caught because Brown, if if nothing else, can bang like hell. And he basically got stopped, and it was all in one round, so it was madness. And obviously, Lucas Brown kind of you know revitalized his career right there. Um, but yeah, the fight before that was 16 months prior to Joseph Parker. He went 12 rounds and lost unanimously to Joseph Parker back in February 2021. Since then, he's had these two fights with Lucas Brown and the guy that was 0-6, and, and they've only gone a round each. So basically, what I'm trying to say, it's almost been three years since the Parker fight, and he's done two rounds in that time, got knocked out in a round and won in a round. Um, you'd have to back Frank Sanchez here. However, just because Lucas Brown stopped him in a round, Joseph Parker did go 12 with him. And I don't know if he dropped him along the way. I can't remember the fight. Um, but what I'm trying to say is I think he's he's much better than he looked in that loss to Lucas Brown. Frank Sanchez sometimes doesn't like to step on the gas, particularly early. I think we're going to see some rounds here. I think the bet is the over, uh, which, which for those that are not too familiar with boxing, betting, and all the rest of it, you can you know bet on how many rounds a fight's going to go. And I do just want to have a little look. Frank Sanchez, Jr. Far, the over-under is set at 5.5 rounds. So basically, um, I would say potentially over 
And I wouldn't be surprised to see Frank Sanchez win that on points. It's a tough ask just because of the inactivity with Junior Farr. But again, um, yeah, I I don't think he's going to blow him out. I think it's going to go a few rounds. But again, not super super confident on that. Um, Eddie, just very, very, very brief word before we move on. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I can agree. Um, This is going to go probably a few rounds mainly. Because Frank Sanchez, you know, tends to move and wants to box, take his time. So that can happen. And I agree 100%. If I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet the over for sure. But stranger things have happened. Junior Fah has been stopped in a round, even though it was by Lucas Brown. And Frank Sanchez can punch. So keep that in mind before you make that bet. There we go. There we go. Um... Also on the card, this one, again, I think is going to be quite exciting. Um, Arslanbek Makhmadov, 18-0, 17-KOs. The only man to take him the distance being Carlos Takam. He gets in with Ajit Kabayel, 23-0 of Germany, the six foot three fighter. Um, this is somewhat intriguing. I'm expecting Makhmadov to stop him. Um, I remember... I guess Caballero in some ways bursting on the scene when he beat Derek Chisora back in 2017 and he just basically used his feet and used his jab and made it really boring and pretty much dominated Chisora just with one hand. Um, since then, though, it's a real a real poor run of opponents, you know, some really bad guys. He went the distance with Andre Rodenko. That's one of the big names on there. Went the distance with Kevin Johnson, uh, three fights ago or two fights ago uh that was back in uh june of 2021 he had one fight in 2022 it went one round against pavel sauer former victim of huey fury and then he had one fight in march of this year where he he got a third round tko against a guy who i've never heard of so again he's only done four rounds in almost well in the last sort of year and a half um he gets in with makmadov who has been active, but again, has only done a small number of rounds. Just one round back in October when he boxed um, back in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Makhmadov, obviously a Muslim Muslim boxer. He was he was there on that um, Tyson Fury and Garnu card. Got a first round knockout there. Um, he boxed again in July. Got a second round knockout there. Boxed um, a year ago this month as well. So he's kind of had three fights in a year, but they've only gone one round, two round, and one round. Again, his competition of late hasn't been great. Obviously went the distance with Takam, knocked out Marius Wack. Um, oh, he, he beat Pavel Sauer in a round as well. So they've both beaten Pavel Sauer in a round. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, but I, I think... I think you know, Caballero can move, and there's some people that are looking at that Takam fight saying, well, you know, Caballero's got better feet than him. Um, he's got a chance in this, but I just think he's going to be too small, too undersized. He's only six foot three. Makhmadov being, being well, Makhmadov's only six foot five and a half. I thought he was more like six, seven, six, eight, something like that. Maybe I'm a bit wrong, but I just, I can't see him withstanding the power that Makhmadov brings to the table. I'm expecting a Makhmadov win by KO, if somehow it did go the distance, though, um, you know, I don't think they're going to give it to Caballero over Makhmadov. Like I say, I think he's he's very well liked in Saudi Arabia. 
Um, but could be interesting, Eddie. I wouldn't blink on that one. Um, yeah, that, that could be interesting. But I'm riding with Makhmadov to get the KO. Um, what else do we have? What else do we have? This one's going to be interesting, Eddie. Daniel Dubois, 19-2, and two, coming off that loss last time out to Alexander Usyk just four months ago this week. He gets in with Jarrell Big Baby Miller, 26-0 and 0 with a draw, friend of the show. Um, Jarrell Miller coming off that win nine months ago against Lucas Brown, where it took him six rounds to get the TKO in, in a really kind of grueling fight for both men. Hasn't really looked the same since the drug scandal. Um, he's had three comeback fights now. Uh, two stoppages and one fight in which he went the distance with Ariel Bracamonte, who normally gets stopped. Uh, he got stopped, for example, by Dave Allen once upon a time, if my memory serves me right. Yeah, he got stopped by Dave Allen, got stopped by Fraser Clark, got stopped by Ivan Dyko, but Jarrell Big Baby Miller went 10 rounds with him. Anyway, moving off the subject into a different area there a little bit, but Big Baby Miller... And Daniel Dubois already. Another one where people are saying that they can see an upset here. Dubois the favourite, but some people think Miller could do this just because he's got an unusual style for a big guy. He, he takes a lot of punishment, good chin, and if he can take Dubois into deep waters, there's a few question marks with the recent uh, habit that I guess Dubois has got of taking a knee. That, if I was... Well, I, I guess I am a betting man now. <laughs> if I was a betting man, if it was going to be one that I would pick as a sleeper, it would definitely be this one. Because, you know, like you said, Danny Dubois recently has been, he's, he's gotten beaten twice, uh, stopped in particular uh, with Usyk not too long ago. You know, sometimes with these types, those types of situations, you don't get over it. There's, there's, there's kind of like something hanging over you from it. And then you get in there with a guy who's what? So they're talking about now he's what walking around at three hundred something, like twenty, twenty something pounds, and that's a lot of weight to have to deal with to be able to keep somebody off you. Who, who, who and he's not a bum. He has boxing skills, so it's not going to be a, a a a typical fight with a you know with with a guy who's three hundred twenty pound mummy that's going to be sitting there. It's going to be easy to pick off. He's gonna he's gonna continue to walk you down. His punch count's pretty high. He's not gonna be like he's gonna be not gonna be a typical situation. So, and Dubois can be hurt. And I'm, I don't think you know uh, Big Baby Punch is crazy, but I think it's the volume and the pressure and the weight and the mauling that I think he's gonna be trying to do here with Dubois. They're similar in height, but the weight is just a lot to overcome. You know what I mean? I don't I don't see it. I don't see this being an easy. Well, of course, it's not going to be easy. Easy win for Dubois. I don't. I see this as being one of those fights that you could easily pick. And honestly, if I'm betting, I'm going to pick Miller. So uh, I just because I've, I've seen, you know, I've seen him like when he fought um, Joe Washington and stuff like that. It's just this. It has that kind of a feel to me. You know what I mean? Dubois probably is a harder puncher, better fighter, and you know, all around. But I just think that. You know, once you get past the fifth and sixth round with a dude who's that big, who's putting pressure, you know, strong, tough, durable, uh, that has pretty de decent skills as well, I think it's a lot of work. I think it's going to be a lot of work, probably a little bit too much for him. Hey, but I've been wrong before, and 
you know, maybe uh, maybe the favorite's going to win this one. But I just I think it's going to be going to be uh, Miller that's going to come out uh, on top on this one. Wow. Okay, Miller for the upset. That's interesting, Eddie. Uh, you can get a good price on that. Uh, Miller, just to win by any method, you can just over triple your money. It's 11 to 5. By knockout is uh, is 11 to 4. Um, and decision, for Miller to win by decision, you can get 15 times your money. So they're not expecting him to outwork Dubois. I think they're probably right on that. I can't see him winning a decision. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, okay, we. Uh, my pick for that would be Dubois KO. I just think that Jarrell Big Baby Miller's just too stationary. Uh, you know, especially since coming off the, the you know the the Ped scandal. I just think he's he's going to be standing right there for the big long Dubois right hand. They are similar in height, but I'd say Dubois definitely got the longer arms. I think he's going to be able to get him on the end of the jab and get him on the end of the right hand. And I just don't think anyone can stand in front of Dubois with very little head movement um, for, for 12 rounds or however long the fight's scheduled for. It's, yeah, no, it's a 10-rounder. So I don't think he's going to be able to stand there for 10 rounds taking that right hand. I just, I just, I can see at some point Dubois getting to him, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see Dubois just trying to jab and move and win a points, like, like win on points. I wouldn't be surprised. But I do think if I was pushed, it would be a Dubois stoppage. So we, we disagree there, already. Um Okay, moving back to the next fight. Let's move up that card. Um, Jai Opatai, 23-0. He was the IBF Cruiserweight World Champion. They've stripped him because basically uh, he decided to take on the UK's Ellis Zorro, who's 17-0. Basically, I think they think it's such a mismatch that they don't want their belt on the line for it. Um, Ellis Zorro is, in this fight, is kind of, you know, being spoken about as, you know, a lamb going to slaughter. Um, I like Ellis Zorro. I really like him. I, I think his development through the domestic scene has been quite, quite smart, quite well planned, quite well thought out. And this fight just makes absolutely no sense. I'm guessing he's getting a nice, a nice bit of money for it. But it's it's like a lose-lose situation, I think. Like I say, I hope he's getting a nice pay packet, but it makes no real sense. I like the way he's been moved, and this is like a complete suicide uh, fight, to be honest. They've been building him nicely, and I guess maybe they were just building him towards a big payday, and this is it, and then he can just go straight back to domestic scene if he's not too damaged, which I hope doesn't happen to him on Saturday night. But it's such a massive mismatch. And and Jai Opatai is expected to just walk through him in a matter of a round or two. That's what they're saying. I hope they're wrong. I hope we see a few rounds. Also on the card, another, in my opinion, real, real bad mismatch. Dimitri Bivol, 21-0, gets in with Lyndon Arthur, 23-1. It's for the IBO World Light Heavyweight title and the WBA Super World Light Heavyweight title. Um... So yeah, 12 rounds, just like the Opatai and Zorro fight. Again, I'm expecting, and this is, you can actually more than double your money on this, but I'm expecting Dimitri Bivol to win by stoppage. I really am. And a lot of people don't think that's going to happen because Bivol doesn't tend to get the stoppage. Bivol is usually a guy that goes the distance. 
Uh, I think his knockout percentage is just over 50%. But anyway, his last knockout came in 2018, which is kind of crazy. That's almost, it was in early 2018, so almost six years ago against Sullivan Barrera, and it was in the 12th and final round. Obviously, he's boxed some really decent fighters since then, the likes of Jean Pascal, Joe Smith, Isaac Chalemba, tough guy, uh, Craig Richards, Canelo, Gilberto Ramirez. He hasn't stopped any of those guys. But Lyndon Arthur, who's been stopped and he's only lost, obviously, the rematch with Anthony Yard, he looked great in that first Yard fight, but the second Yard fight, when Yard really showed up, he was no match for Anthony Yard that time there. Um, I really like Lyndon. Like I say, he's a friend of the show, but he's looked very, very beatable in his last few fights. He didn't look good against Boris Crichton. He looked quite bad against Boris Crichton, who only had about two days' notice for the fight. Then he got in in his last fight with that Brian Suarez, who no one had ever heard of, and he was losing the fight. Until, and he was down as well, got knocked down in round four against Suarez. Um, who was a big puncher, I give him credit there, but he, he looked very, very vulnerable there, Arthur. Um, he looks like a, a bad knockout waiting to happen, um, and like I say, he found a body shot in the 10th round to turn the fight on its head, and he needed a knockout there, so I still don't know where he found that shot from. It was only three months ago, but he gets in with Bivol, who I think is just too precise a puncher, and it's just gonna it's it's just gonna have way too much for him to withstand twelve rounds. So I'm going with the Bivol stoppage. It will more than likely come late in the fight, but I'm going with Bivol by stoppage. Eddie, I don't know if you know much about Linden. If you don't, let's just skip straight straight past it. Yeah, I know a little bit about him. I watched him in that yard fight. I watched him a couple of times in other fights. He's pretty good, you know. What pretty tall guy, good, you know, good rangy guy. But um, I do agree, you know. Um, obviously, yard stopping him the way he did in the second fight. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's not still good or he's damaged goods. But then again, it can also. And we gotta agree that he's stepping up to a really, really high level. Uh, very accurate puncher. There's a good chance that he could get stopped. I would probably lean more toward a distance because that's just the way Dimitri Bivol is built. I think he boxes, and even though he, he can he pressures at times, and he, he does have a good punch count, I just think his style in particular uh, doesn't always try to put so much into every shot. Not that you have to to knock a guy out. Sometimes you just catch him. I just think it's more of a distance fight. That's my opinion. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go. I... I if you can get him, if you can get him for the knockout on the bet, I would definitely at least try for it if it's got good odds. But um, yeah, yeah, interesting fight, but without a doubt, I think uh, Bivol is definitely going to take it. I think more so by decision, though. Okay, Bivol decision. Um, while you was just talking there, I was just trying to put all my kind of picks into a, a parlay just to see what the overall odds are. I'll come back to that in a moment when I come to you in a minute, which I will do. Um, yeah, so getting to the two kind of main fights, Deontay Wilder, 43 and 2 with a draw. 42 by KO. Um coming off that that fight 14 months ago now, in which he stopped Robert Hellanius in just one round. Again, very inactive, really, when you think about it, because he'd gone a whole year since the Tyson Fury third fight, which obviously went eleven rounds. But that was in um that was in October 2021, so it's been, again, two years and two months, and he's only had one round of action. He gets in with Joseph Parker, friend of the show. Everyone likes Big Joe. 33-3. and three. 
Um, Joseph Parker coming off the win last time against Simon Keane, which again was back in Saudi Arabia just two months ago. Very, very uh, more active than than Deontay has been recently. Um, Yeah, so interesting fight. Um, I really liked Parker's performance last time. I thought it was the best performance he's put in for years. Um, I I was a massive believer in Parker's chin. I think he had a you know he showed a great chin against Anthony Joshua. He's always been a really tough guy. Took a lot of big shots, uh, but we did see him get stopped by Joe Joyce in just a year and three months ago. Like I say, he's come back with three good wins since then. Three really impressive wins. Uh, not the Jack Massey one. That wasn't too great, but you know Jack Massey's a better fighter than people give him credit for being. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent there. Deontay Wilder, Joseph Parker, Eddie. I'd love to see Joe win this. I'd love to, but I just think he's he, he's gonna get clipped at some point. Like pretty much everyone has been clipped uh, by that right hand at some point. The only man who has managed to. Um, I say get out the way of it, he still took it and went down, was was Tyson Fury. So I think just like every other 40-odd opponent, you know, a number of opponents, he's going to get touched at some point, and I don't think that that chin is going to hold up. But my pick is just for the fight to not go the distance. I don't think we're going to see 12 rounds. I'm not going to pick who is going to get the stoppage, but that's the bet I'm going to go with. The fight not to go the distance. I'd love Joe to be the victor. Yeah, man. You know, Gentleman Joe. Now he's a good guy, man. You know, and it's funny I haven't actually formally met him, but he, you know, I think I've talked on social media with him. He's a he's a he's a really nice dude. You know, even his people as well. So he's the kind of guy you want to root for. You want to see him win. You know what I mean? You want to see him on top. He's just that kind of guy. But it's unfortunate he's got to get in there with this guy. You know, I mean, this guy's. You know, and I. You know. You want to talk bad about him. You want to say, oh, he's not this. He doesn't have this. But does it matter? You know what I mean? You know, all the years I, look, I've i been watching this guy, and, you know, he just doesn't have the skill. You know what I mean? But to be able to probably be a Hall of Famer when he's retired, not probably, probably guaranteed to be, with remedial boxing ability, and his skills, it's just, it's incredible because he knows he's obviously done it. You know what I mean? He's in every single fight till the last second ticks off the clock. That's just how it is. Some people were just born with that gift and he has been born with that gift. And, you know, he's honed it to a degree to where he, you know, he understands how to make, you know, make that weapon or sharpen that weapon as the fight goes on, as the guy gets a little more tired or a little more relaxed, a little more confident, because sometimes confidence can be your enemy too. And I think with Wilder and when people see that, damn, he's really not that good. And then you go to sleep and you forget that he can at any point change the fight. And I think that's happened, you know, both times with uh, Luis Ortiz and, you know, a host of, even with Tyson Fury, even with Tyson a few times, man, you, just you fall asleep at the wheel sometimes because you're in, you're in such in such control, but you always got to be leery of that right hand. That's just something that that's one of the best, the biggest and most potent weapons in, that boxing has ever seen. And and it's just it's something that you know it's, it's it, you would hate to see him go down on it. 
but it's likely that likely that he will. You know what I mean? He's, you know, unless he can stay away from it or you know stay off that line and not challenge and not get too confident, it's a possibility he could win. Because I do think he could possibly outbox him, or at least put him in his position to do so. But it's just that right hand, man. He's he's got to stay away from it. And but if he can't, he's probably gonna be KO at some point. Wilder, you know, and it's just unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Love Joe Parker, but it's probably gonna be a Wilder knockout at some point in that fight. So you're going with Wilder KO in that one, Eddie? Yeah. I think that's the bet, man. And I, and I would love to see the guy do well and, and, and pull it out. But if I had to bet, which I probably will <laughs> will do, it's going to be a wilder KO. I'm, I'm going to give him respect and give him at least, I'm going to give him five to six rounds. You know what I mean? But, I, but Joseph Parker is a proud guy who can fight and will fight you. You know what I'm saying? He's going to try, he's going to, try to test you. And I just think that's where the demise begins. He has to he, he has to stay extremely disciplined, like he's never been before, in this fight in order to pull out the pull out the win. But he can win. Don't get it twisted. Joe Parker can fight, but he's just gotta he's gotta stay away from that, that right hand. Okay. Well, it's gonna be interesting because I think we're gonna. I just want to quickly spend a minute just going back through our picks. So Eddie, we agree. Hergovich one to four rounds. Yes, sir. Frank Sanchez. Maximum four. <laughs> okay. Frank Sanchez over 5.5 rounds, I think we agreed on. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely agreed. I'm going with Makhmadov KO. You've gone with... Makhmadov is... Who is he fighting again? I, we fighting didn't... We Ajit, didn't. Ajit Kabayel. Nah. German, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't bet on this one. I'm going to okay. take whoever you got on that one because you know more about him than I do. I've probably seen him fight before, but not... All right, okay, Makhmadov KO as well then. And then you're going with Miller, I'm going with yeah. Dubois. Uh, yeah. Opatai, I don't know if you saw, he's definitely going to stop that guy, so yeah. let's both take yeah. him by KO. You've gone, yeah. I've gone Bivol KO, you've gone Bivol points, I think, no? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. and I'm going with the fight not to go the distance with Parker and Wilder, but you're going Wilder KO. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's no question it's not going to go, well, yeah. if, if if I'm picking, if I'm picking, Parker to win. I'm picking this decision, but right. I, I, I don't, I don't think the fight's going to go to distance. But I, the reason the fight wouldn't go to distance is because Wilder stops him. But if Parker wins, it, in my opinion, as tough as Deontay is, it's going to be a decision. I just don't see him being able to do to Deontay what um, what Tyson was able to do, like using the size and the strength. I'm not saying that Joe Parker can't punch, but I just he's just extremely tough. Deontay Wilder, so, yeah. Okay, well, then we get to the main event, then. Anthony Joshua, um, 26-3. and three. Um, what, what was his last fight? I've totally forgot. Uh, oh, yeah, obviously beat Robert Hellenius, didn't he? Had, had a few problems, got busted up a little bit there, got the stoppage in round seven, which extended the fact that he hasn't got a stoppage in the first six rounds of a fight since Eric Molina seven years ago this month. He gets in with Otto Wallin, 26-1, and probably coming off his career-best win last time out when he was able to outpoint uh, Murat Gassiev on the road in Russia. It was a split decision in the end, but there's no way in the world that that really reflect, reflected the fight. He clearly won the fight. Um, six foot five and a half Southpaw from Sweden, Eddie. 
Um, I tell you what, this is where we might really disagree. I'm going. I'm going with uh, Wallin, and I'm going with. I, I, I'm not going to back him for points because that the odds on that are crazy. But I think, by the way, on a side note, there's some great value in Wallin to win on points. It's about six to one. But I'm going with Wallin to win this. I just think he's going to be too busy. I think he can outbox Joshua. I think he's going to be busy. I think he's going to be nicking rounds if we're going to be judging it properly. Um, not judging it with, with the eye on you know Joshua Wilder has to take place next year back in Saudi. So let's rob Wallin. If, we, if we're judging it fairly, I think Wallin's going to be too busy. I think Joshua doesn't seem to be in the right frame of mind these days. He paid, I think it was about £2,000, I think, last month to be locked in a room where it's completely pitch black. And they, he had no phone. I think they were giving him food through a hatch. He was in the middle of the woods somewhere, uh, completely locked himself away. That doesn't scream uh, a man that's in a great place, in my opinion. But then again, it might have done him wonders. I don't know. But on fight week, from what I've seen so far, he seems not really his old self. He seems a bit kind of, you know, um, a bit, a bit, a bit. I don't know, a bit rude for once. He's usually, usually the nice guy around the media. He's kind of giving one-word answers, and it's, I don't know. There seems to be. He's not. He's not quite his old self. Some people think, oh, he's in a bad mood. He's going to absolutely paste Wallin all over the floor. But I actually think it's going to work against him. I think he's confident. But I think, I don't know, Wallin being a southpaw, good chin, stuck to a good game plan last time against Gassiev, good engine, better engine than Joshua, that's for sure. I think Wallin's going to nick this fight. I wouldn't be surprised if he even stopped him late on. But Wallin's much more of a boxer than a you know, feet plotted and trade to try and get you out of there, which it would be against Joshua. So I'm going to go with Wallin to win this fight, Eddie. Honestly, man, I'm, I'm, you think we're going to disagree in, entirely, but I actually, the only part that I disagree is I think Wallin would need to, and probably would win by decision. But That's we all know. Yeah, right. That's, but you said by decision, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you said, but but yeah, you said well. But you all said he could probably stop him late. I don't, I don't see the stoppage being late. I don't see it happening. But I do see it being a hell of a time because you. We also got to remember, Wallen is he's a southpaw, right? So what happened with? Uh, yeah, Wallen is a southpaw. If I'm not mistaken. Am I? Am I wrong? Wallen's a southpaw. I think you're gonna talk about. Other southpaws, obviously, you draw comparison to Usyk, but then right. also Charles Martin. Right. Well, yeah, but we would let's let's not give Charles. Let's not put Charles Martin in that that area because Charles Martin is a different kind of fighter than what Usyk would put. With. And I think Wallen has that tricky element to his game. You know what I mean? Not necessarily to the, to the level of Usyk would it necessarily, but then he's a little bit bigger, but also tricky. Got some rangy things going on with him, you know. P- different pace, you know. It, he he'll peck at you. He's he's the kind of guy that can frustrate the hell out of a guy like Joshua, and I can see that happen. And if I was gonna pick a sleeper fight, aside from the big baby fight with with um, Dubois, I would pick this because I see he has the kind of style 
to really give Joshua serious, serious trouble. But just like I said with Usyk, Joshua need not be on that, I'm going to try to box some shit because I think that then plays into this guy's hands. I think he needs to go in with the idea of seek and destroy. Now being a, you know, a little more careful, maybe behind the jab a little bit, but pressing, 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 looking for meaningful shots. If it has to go rounds, he's going to have to land meaningful shots to get some of these rounds because I just don't think he's going to be able to necessarily outpunch him. You know what I mean? I don't think the pace of the fight, you know, trying to raise the pace of the fight, you know what I mean? That's not Joshua's game. Joshua doesn't have, you know, like the, the, the kind of stamina over the course of a fight to deal with a guy who's going to be a nagging kind of boxer. This is why if he fought Tyson, I think it would be, I think that's a terrible style matchup for him, Tyson Fury. So, but yeah, this is the kind of fight that will give him trouble. And, you know, if I'm going to pick a sleeper, I'm going to pick this. I'm going to pick, I would pick wall and decision. But we do know that we have that, and I know you said not to do this, but we have that signed Wilder fight to come up after this. And, of course, both of those fighters are in tough, but, you know, most most people want to see that fight. So if the fight's close at the end, you already know where it's going. But I would pick Wilder for decision. Are we going as far as walling decision, or or are we going just walling by any method, Eddie? I'm going to go any method. I'm going to say decision. I'm going to say decision because I really believe. Yeah, I'm going to say decision, even though I don't think he's going to win the decision. But I think, I mean, I think he will win the fight, but end up losing the war. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Uh, Or he would win the battle or whatever, but lose the war in the sense because he would. The fight would not go his way. I just don't think it will. I know I've been around boxing. I've seen these types of things happen. And, you know, it's it's just unfortunate for him he's in that scenario. But I think if the fight, if he wins the fight, though, it will be by decision, in my opinion. Okay, so we're both going walling. Well, while you were just talking there, Eddie, I've actually put together my, my parlay and your parlay. Um, and I just want to read this to the listeners. Obviously, I don't want, I don't, I'm not encouraging you know, betting or telling people to go put this bet on and it's going to land. But if you want to go small, just on some of the picks that we've gone with, um, there's one bet that is in there. Frank Sanchez over 5.5 rounds. I'm not like overly, overly confident in that one. You know, that can be removed, to be honest, from myself and Eddie's ones. But anyway, with that included, we, we, we both agree myself and Eddie Hergovic one to four rounds for the KO Frank Sanchez over 5.5 rounds which you can remove that if you want Makhmadov by KO Opatai by KO and Wallin to win um, I'm quite surprised by the way the amount of people online that think Joshua is going to win so easy and I just really can't understand that anyway we agree on those four fi- those five things the three things that we disagree on I've gone with Dubois and Eddie's gone with Big Baby Miller. I've gone Bivol Knockout. Eddie's gone Bivol Points. And I've gone the Wilder fight not to go the distance. Eddie's just gone straight for the Wilder KO. So mine is 47 to 1. Eddie's is 86 to 1. So that could be quite 
quite a big Christmas if they were to land. But just back to the Joshua thing, just really, really briefly. Um, if if he were to stop Wallin, it'd be a massive statement. We saw Wallin give Tyson Fury loads and loads of problems. To be totally honest with you, I've always said it. I think that if it wasn't Tyson Fury in that ring, the fight gets stopped on the cut. It was such a bad cut. That's the only loss he's got on his record. And, you know, that was a... You know, really, he could have won that by stoppage just because of the cut, if we're being real about it. Um, Anthony Joshua, like I say, if he goes in there and stops Wallin, it's a massive, massive statement. It's, it's seven years since since he's got a stoppage in the first six rounds. I don't think he's going to get it in the first six rounds, and I don't think he's going to have the energy levels to get it later on in the fight, when I think Wallin will, will, you know, will be too fresh at that point, because I think, like I say, he's got a better gas tank, gas tank anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be a really intriguing fight, that fight. That's the that's the best, most intriguing fight of the night for me. Um, it's interesting because, the, the, you know, I think me and you said, Eddie, off-air, um, Wallin, we're picking Wallin, but we, we can see Joshua winning. And also, the other one that you said you were a little bit, like, I'm in an R-ing about was um, Dubois and Miller, like, they're not the most confident of ones, and I agree completely, I can see Miller beating Dubois, um, I would side with Dubois, you've gone with Miller, you, uh, you I think, can also see Dubois beating Miller as well, um, the Wallin and Joshua one, again, is a bit, is, is a bit dicey as well, but other than that, I'm pretty confident, you know, I'm pretty confident Biv will get the stoppage, um, Bivol will certainly win that fight. There's no way he loses. Wilder fight, I don't think we're going to see that go the distance, but you went a step further saying Wilder will get the KO. You're probably right there. Jai Opatai to get the stoppage, I think that's a done deal. Uh, Makhmadov, that's interesting. Some people thinking Caballel maybe has a chance just because um, Takan boxed quite well and probably beat Makhmadov. But Makhmadov really blew his load early on in that fight, though, and I think he's probably learnt from that. Uh, Frank Sanchez against Junior Farr, like I say, should be quite one-sided really for Frank Sanchez, providing he doesn't get caught with a big shot like he did last time, because if he gets caught with that shot, maybe Junior Farr can can uh, do something more than just buckle his legs, and Philip Hergovic really and truly should destroy Mark Damori quite early on, unfortunately. Uh, that is it for that card. There's one... Yeah. Sorry. One, more, one, Go on. one more thing, Joe. If there was one fight that I would take out of my parlay because I'm just not certain about it. Aside from, you know, the, the Miller fight we talk about. And even if I do make this and put this, I think I might take that Joshua fight out of it. The only reason why is because even though I think it would happen the way I said, I'm just so, I'm so thinking about the actual decision. Yeah. I just, I just, I just can't, you know what I mean? I could, I, I think it would mess up the parlay. I just really do. I really do. But that's all. Sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. It's just a bit of fun anyway. Um, right, getting on to the final two cards to mention this too. Uh, going to come to you first here, Eddie, just to finish this guy's name. It goes down at the Swamlum Night Bazaar in Bangkok, Thailand. I'm going to guess at some kind of nightclub. We're going to see, Eddie. Please do this for the, for the for the Christmas listeners. With Saxel Wangek, a.k.a. Saw... Sarisaket saw Rungvasai, a.k.a. The Rat Eater. Yes, you finally got it. 54 and 6 with a draw. 
And of course, he gets in with a guy called Critifac Downgnut, who is 0-1. These are the fights we love to see. It's an absolute mismatch there on the 23rd of December. Six rounds at bantamweight there. I cannot believe the fight's been sanctioned. And then finally, Boxing Day will be Boxing Day because on Tuesday, the 26th of December, don't get too drunk on Christmas Day because it's going to be an early one, especially in the States, uh, in Japan, at the Ariaki Arena. It's going to be live on ESPN+. Plus. It's going to be live, I think, on Sky Sports. I'm hoping it's going to be on Sky Sports. It, it has to be. I think it is. Naoya Inoue, the king, 25-0. and 0. It's for all the belts at Super Bantamweight. IBF, WBA, WBC, WBO. He gets in with Marlon Tapales, 37-3, coming off that upset win, like we mentioned earlier on, in the, on, earlier on in the show, the upset win that he had last time out against Murajon Akhmadaliev, a split decision back in April this year. And Naoya Inoue, obviously, coming off that brilliant win last time out against Stephen Fulton. So, Boxing Day is going to be really, really good. Uh, you know, sometimes it can be a bit of a come down after Christmas has ended but I'm really looking forward to that one then it's an early start like I say so I won't be drinking too much I know you won't drink at all Eddie and um, my advice to the listeners don't forget that that fight's taking place there's a lot of boxing on the 23rd of December is the massive card in Saudi 24th is Christmas Eve 25th is Christmas 26th is Boxing Day and Inoue Tapales for the undisputed super bantamweight titles and then that kind of brings the year to a close. Obviously, this is the Christmas special uh, podcast here. We will have an end-of-year podcast, which will be coming on the 28th of, uh, of of December. So next week, that'll be the end-of-year special, by the way. So that's when we spend the podcast talking about the best knockouts and the best female fighter and the best fight of the year, the best prospect, all of that stuff. If you haven't already sent your entries in, then please send them in to me on Twitter at BoxHard underscore podcast or at Champ Fast Eddie or on Instagram at Fast Eddie Chambers or at BoxHard Podcast on there. Um, I'm going to come to you, Eddie, just with a final message, just um, you know, wishing our listeners a Merry Christmas and then I'll come back with the outro after that but yeah that's been the the preview part wrapped up we did the review part in part one we had our special guest mr jeff horn former world champion we did the news we did the preview part we even gave you a nice chunky bet that will probably lose but eddie sign out with a little message oh man we just want to really really thank the listeners man guys your guys are the mvp in this uh we appreciate you it's been a great year Looking forward to Christmas, and I know everybody else is. Hope y'all bought some nice gifts. You know what I mean? Hope some, hopefully some of them is, uh, you know, boxing gear, boxing stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, yeah, yeah, man. We just love y'all. And uh, looking forward to a solid uh, solid new year coming. And more, uh, more Box Hour podcasts to come. Absolutely. It doesn't stop. Well, there we go. That brings the preview part to a close. It's now time for me to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds.
Okay, and this wraps up this year's Christmas special Box Hard podcast. I hope you've all enjoyed listening. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge shout-out to this week's special guest, the former WBO welterweight world champion, Mr. Jeff Horn. The biggest thanks, as always, goes out to you, the listeners. Thanks once again for tuning in. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Don't forget to please send us in your nominees for the end-of-year podcast awards that we'll be doing next week so there is not much time left to get those in please remember to send us them in because we do need a few more to come in that'd be great but yeah that's about everything from myself enjoy your weekends people stay safe have a good one and we'll see you all again next week